Overworked, a podcast. Bold storytelling. Balanced lives. Brighter futures. Welcome to Overworked with myself, Masmi, Challen, Caitlin, and Jill. We're finally getting into the warmer months. And in the past episodes, we've talked a lot about entrepreneurship, climbing the proverbial ladder. But today, we're going to focus on the softer side of achieving that balance. I don't know if many of you know, but May is actually Mental Health Awareness Month, where there's an emphasis to reduce the stigma and provide support for those that need it, especially during these trying times. The theme for 2021 is specifically, You Are Not Alone, where we will use this time to focus on the healing value of connecting in safe ways, prioritizing mental health, and acknowledging that it is okay to not be okay. Today, we are also really excited. Um, We have a a really good friend of mine for, gosh, the last, I think, 14, 15 years who will be joining us. Um, Her name is Deepika Mystery, and she has started a company called Anumi, which is about energetic healing, alignment, and coaching. And we will be discussing with her on setting boundaries and how to overcome fear. Setting boundaries, Moss. Um, We've been talking a lot about that lately. Um, just one-on-one. And I'm excited to kind of talk about that today. Saying no is a big part of setting boundaries. And I think, you know, we talk a lot about what the impact of the pandemic has been. Um, And I think at the beginning of the pandemic, you know, March 2020, over a year now, um, it almost felt like you had to say yes and then some Um, to work. You wanted to make sure that as you're working remotely, you were proving that you were working and that you were de- dedicated to working from home. Um, and I think that kind of was trying to combat some of the traditional old school ways of thinking that if your butt wasn't in a seat, you weren't working. Um, and so I think we kind of overcompensated for a while and the boundaries between work and home blurred. And so did the hours and the days and the weeks and the weekends <laughs> um, to the point that, you know, you just didn't really have that balance. Then kind of in the middle of that, and until more recently, there was a a nice shift toward respecting work and personal life. Um, I think we saw a lot of this with some of the larger organizations. And even just recently, LinkedIn gave its entire company worldwide the week of April 5th off to recharge. They noted that giving everyone the week off meant that employees didn't return to a week's worth of emails. They didn't have to have that stress of kind of keeping an eye on their phone while they were supposed to technically be off. Um, And other companies like Salesforce and Adobe, Google, um, they all kind of went above and beyond to support employees as well. Adobe even gives, you know, a mental health day a week offering free money coaching too, which I know we all needed during the pandemic as we worried about our finances and what the next year and the next month might look like. Um, so I think there was a nice transition there in the middle to um, organizations realizing that people were getting really burned out. Um, now we're starting to see that stores and theaters and even some offices are beginning to reopen. And it really brings about an entirely new challenge of deciding how comfortable each individual is with going back into the public. Do you have small children who can't get vaccinated? Or do you have um, seniors in your life who haven't been vaccinated or they're not all the way vaccinated? And there are so many different ways and variables that you have to decide how to keep the people that you love in your life safe. 
Um, and so many workplaces are really excited to get back to normal, which is somewhat in conflict with individuals' beliefs. Um, and actually just yesterday I saw on LinkedIn, Robert Half released um, new data that found that 49% of employees prefer a hybrid remote and in-office work experience. I know personally, I love that being able to go in when there's something really important, um, but being able to forfeit the commute when you don't have to, right? Um, and one in three professionals said that they they look for a new job if they had to fully return to the office. This is a huge transition for the industry. Um, I think employees being able to experience a work from home life and structure um, gave them just totally new perspective. And I, I think organizations are gonna have to realize what that means for the future of their workforce. But there are a few items that people have have said if they do back do have to go back into the office, what their expectations is. So they have kind of a wish list. I found these really interesting, so I wanted to share them with our audience. But um, most people, the top five things that they want um, if they are going to go back into the office is the ability to set their hours, um, the um, an actual space for their own personal office space. You know the the old way of having you know, big rows of open space might not be great anymore. Um, commuting expenses, you know, it's not just time. It's also pretty expensive sometimes if you're taking the L every day in Chicago or the train other places. People have also gotten very comfortable with athleisure and relaxed dress code. So nobody wants to wear a blazer into the office anymore. Um, and then another thing that I personally think is super interesting, and I, we're hearing a lot about this on the U.S. national stage, is employer-provided child care. If we don't have that support from the government, how can organizations support their employees to take care of the folks who have children at home? This list is great. Not everybody's going to get all of them, but hopefully it's a starting point for organizations to think about how they can support their employees as we get back into this new way of living. Not all of these wish list items are feasible. They can get pretty expensive, especially the child care option. But for each employee, they'll have to decide what's most important to them and be able to set boundaries around, you know, where they're going to set priorities and, and what they will and will not accept from their employer. So again, setting boundaries in your day-to-day -day and in your work life is going to be really important in the next year. Thanks, Charlyn. I definitely agree with you. And even some things that you don't think about, for instance, when you're on Zoom, you're inviting people into your home every day. And I think about that. It's like, you know, some days I just want to work from my bed, but you're not going to be on Zoom with your colleagues in bed, right? <laughs> so you start to think about those things. Um, so the ability to set flexible hours and set flexible working hours really, really resonates with anyone who has been in consulting. And I do want to bring in um, my friend Deepika Mystery here. So for a little bit of history, I guess, about me and Deepika, we um, met at Accenture way back in the day. I think it was 2006. She is from London. Um, at that time, I was living in Houston. And we met in St. Charles, Illinois at a training. And, you know, we did all the consulting things. We glamorized working the long hours, talked about how busy we always were, how we were always going out and living that consulting life. And then, you know, a few years later, I get a message from her and she tells, tells me she's completely changed her career. So Deepika, welcome. And please tell us a little bit about how you made 
that shift into, you know, change management consulting to what you're doing now and why that was so important? Goodness. Um, well, thank you, first of all, for having me on here. It's a great podcast. I love listening to it. So thank you for inviting me. Gosh, that's a really good question. Um, it wasn't intentional. I think it's one of those things when we've worked in consulting, we, we kind of know what our career path is. We know what the right next step thing to do when we, we know what our goals are because we've got role models that are doing that. So we just kind of mimic that and do that. And I was on that path. So my intention wasn't to leave that path and set up a business. It just so happened. So I think it's one of those things where you, um, you know, you go through, you know, because this topic is on boundaries. I was somebody that had no boundaries whatsoever. So I burnt out. And that's one of the side effects of not having boundaries. You burn out. You can burn out physically, mentally, emotionally, energetically. There's so many different types of burnout. And often when we burn out, we don't realize we've burnt out until we've actually kind of collapsed or in exhaustion or something like that. But the process of burnout is process and it goes on and on and on. So many of us also hover above the kind of crashing point as well for years and years and years. And that was one of them. So for probably about two to three years when I was working at Accenture, I thought it was great. I thought, you know, I love doing the. I thought I was a hero for doing like the seven days a week, 14 hours a day. I'm just like, yes, I'm a champion. Look at me go. You know, I'm not a weak person. So I had that mentality until it got to a point where I was on a client site and I had this constant headache for about uh, two months. And so I was having ibuprofen every couple of hours and the headache wouldn't go away. And then I found myself in um, an office and I had this heart palpitation and I thought I was having a heart attack, but it wasn't. It was an anxiety panic attack that I was having and I just couldn't breathe. And I think it was at that point I heard this voice and this voice said, Topeka, you know, if you don't have your health, you can't work. If you can't work, you don't make any money. If you don't make any money, you lose the home that you've just purchased. So this was probably in 2009 and I had, and we just crashed the financial services crashed the year before me working in financial services. We're all on edge. It's like, you know, are we going to be made redundant? So we've got that fear driving us as well. So that's the fear is pushing us. And, um, and I purchased a home in 2007. So I was right, like at the ends, you know, just, <laughs> just at the end of it. So, and I think it was in that moment where I just thought, there's got to be another way. There's got to be another way. And I just can't carry on doing this. And so it was just this whole beautiful opening just to try. I didn't know what the other way was, but to just try it. And that was the start of my journey. <laughs> I love that story. I think it resonates with people and where they're at right now, actually, like the 2008 economic crisis and the crisis we're going through now has kind of put people in a position where it's almost worth the risk because you're like, what other option do I have except to make this life changing choice so that I don't crash? Yeah. And I think it's when you do crash and you get to that point, you know, because I was signed off for depression, anxiety, stress by the doctor. So it wasn't something I was making up. It was actually I was signed off sick as well. And being signed off sick um, was I also saw it as a bad thing. I'm just like, I'm really weak to be able to do that because I used to look at people that would take time off sick or even take time off for vacation. I thought, oh, they're such a weakling. Why would they do that? Can't they power through? <laughs> You know, and that's how I was programmed. And after that crash, I think what I realized is that I had absolutely no confidence 
my confidence came through my ability to achieve you know, to get the top ratings, to produce the highest quality work, to do all these hours. And, you know, so I, when I went on to my next project, I couldn't deliver it because that, you know, I'd lost everything because, and, and that was the start of my journey in terms of going inwards. And, you know, so when I left Accenture, I went traveling for a bit just to reset myself. And then I joined another consulting firm and I, I picked them because like they, they had this great uh, view in terms of work-life balance. It felt more like a family. They looked after their people and you're getting more and more of that, those consulting firms nowadays as well. So back then they were one of the key ones that a lot of people went to and you know, it just felt like home, like I was being taken care of, like I could do the work that I love to do, but it also in a healthy, balanced way. So if I was pushing it, there was always someone there that will help me to kind of don't overdo it kind of thing. So, you know, resetting my own kind of limits, if that makes sense. Um, no, that definitely makes a lot of sense. And um, I, I do think it's interesting, and you and I have talked about this, that corporations seem to be realizing that, oh, wait, mental health like happy employees, you know, um, are on happy projects and things work out much better. But, you know, this is something I think a lot of people struggle with where they can be really good at setting boundaries at work, but maybe not so good at setting boundaries in their home and personal life. Um, how do you do both? And, you know, I know we say, how do you say no? But I think the other part of saying no is like, oh, no, are they going to hate me if I say no? And you've just touched upon the most one of the most important things when it comes to boundaries, because boundaries is something is invisible, right? To a certain extent, sometimes in the work environment, it's easier to set the boundaries because you can go into the office and you can switch off all your devices if you if that's one way of having those boundaries. But at the same time, you can switch everything off, but in your mind, you can go to bed thinking about what happened that day. And I'm sure many of us, and I know I've done it many of times, that we're actually trying to work out, or if I said this in the meeting, instead of saying this, would it have gone this way? And if it had gone this way, would that happen? And then, oh yeah, I've got a meeting tomorrow. I wonder what I should say. If I say this, maybe they'll say that. Oh no, I don't really want them to say that. Or I should maybe say this. So what we're doing, we're constantly processing in our head. So that's, so you've got the physical boundary, but you haven't got the mental boundary in that sense or the emotional one. So if you start to get anxiety, a lot of people get anxiety when they think about work or they haven't done the work, so they work over the weekend, so they're not anxious on the Monday. So then that's the emotional aspect of, of that. So it's it's navigating those things. So that's on a work side, but then when it comes to um, boundaries in the most simplest terms is an act of self-love. So many of us, we've never really been taught how to love ourselves, right? So because we don't know, love ourselves, we don't really know ourselves, right? So it's, that's an inside journey. So we have to look at all the different aspects of ourselves that we either shame, dislike, or punish and put away in a, in a side corner. So part of boundary management and, and when it goes into the family life is really learning about yourself. What are your own values? Not your work values, but what is your value as this person? How do you want to be treated? So the way in which you treat yourself, even if it's silently in your own mind. So if you're someone like I used to be a really brilliant at this, which was always constantly criticizing myself in my head. And then once I have one critic, there'll be another critic and then there'll be another critic. And then it will just be, I'll be spinning, you know? And that's where self-love kind of comes in. If you have that constant critic, you don't have those kind of 
boundaries in, 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 in place, if that makes sense. I'd lost my trail of thought of where I was going on that one. Yeah. No, no, that makes, that makes complete sense. So I think what you're saying is, and I agree with you that boundaries have that invisible line. Um, and sometimes, you know, we get, we go so far down a path that we don't even know that we're harming ourselves. I, I love what you said about really knowing yourself. Um, because I don't think a lot of us spend the time with ourselves to know ourselves, right? Like you spend the time at work, you spend the time with your parents, your friends. Um, but I, I've always said this, and, and you have taught me this, um, Deepika, you know, the work I've done with you is, you know, in the moments of silence is really where you find that clarity. I love that because I think so many people, what you said earlier actually is easier to come to terms with. Like, the having this constant drive to achieve and feeling like that's a value of yours. And, and maybe hard work is one of your values, but I think sitting with yourself and, and figuring out what else makes up who you are beyond your salary and your title and the clients you work with, um, it's a lot harder to do, I think, than, you know, getting this gold star at work. Yeah. And I think it's, it's, it's an interesting journey because it, it, it takes you into a whole different place. And I think because of the way that I burnt out and I lost my confidence, it really got me to look at that. And at that moment, if you asked me, do I know what the answer is? I would have told you, no, I have no idea what's going on. So sometimes you have to experience what you have to experience, which allow you to go down a different path and a different route. And I just want to quickly circle back on something that uh, Moss said around you know, sometimes we end up saying yes to things when inside we don't want to say yes to them, right? Because we have this, we want to be the good person, you know, we want to be liked, we don't want someone to hate us, you know, and we want to be validated, we want to be seen and heard. So we have these unconscious programs and conditionings that are running within us. So that's why we end up saying yes. And often, I'm sure you guys have all kind of experienced those moments when you really don't want to go out, for example, and you say yes, and then (laughs) (laughs) all the time. And then you're either absolutely exhausted when you come back or you're you're resentful and you take that resentment out on the situation or on the person and actually you're taking it out on yourself. So that is not self-love, right? You're punishing yourself for not doing what you really wanted to do because you've, you've got a belief that says that it's the, you know, you have to say yes to this person because they're hurting. So you've got to look after them, especially those of us that are, you know, especially women, I would say we're, we're in this, I wouldn't, I don't want to generalize, but many of us, um, what I found with my work with my clients is that we women often tend to say yes more purely because it's just something that they've learned to kind of do in, in that sense. No, I think that makes sense. Um, we've talked about in our other podcasts, how women often are the ones to create that community. Um, if you're, you know, in a household, you're typically the one who creates the meal plan and does the grocery shopping, perhaps. Um, these are, and Chellen, you said it, um, you know, the other day that your husband probably doesn't think of how is he going to juggle the baby and work, but that's something you have to think about. So, you know, it, it really does. Um, I think knowing what your boundaries are and and Deepika, is there something about knowing what your limitations are? Does that work with boundaries? Like knowing that I can give myself three days a week to social events or is there something there? 
Yeah, so it's, it's one of the things. So sometimes to know your boundaries, you, you have to kind of not have boundaries, if that makes sense. Sometimes we have to have these experiences where our boundaries have been completely kind of um, trodden over. And it's ourselves that we are the ones that are um, walking over our own boundaries, not anyone else. The more we respect and honor our boundaries, other people will naturally do that. So we don't have to kind of articulate our boundaries, they will know that because it's the way that in which we're treating ourselves. So that's why it comes back to self-love. So when you love yourself, you you treat yourself in a loving, kind way, and therefore you create boundaries in a loving, kind way. And I would say on a practical level is have a look at those moments when I think the easiest thing to do is if you're someone that is brand new to boundaries and, and not very good at setting them, is have a look at the times of when you said yes to something, but you really went one it really meant no, and you didn't want it to do that. What made you say yes, you know, and then just try exercise when you come into that situation again, say no, because actually when you are saying no, you are actually saying yes to something that you really want. So saying no to something that you don't want, which is in your heart, you open the door to saying yes to something that you really want. So, you know, often when we're kind of dating the wrong guy or something like that, and we keep saying yes to them and keep seeing them, for example, that's all, we'll, that's all the, the doors are open. But as soon as we say no, there's somebody new that kind of walks in and that's what we really want. So there's something around that. Some no, We often find it really hard to say no, but there's a beautiful power in no. And if those of you guys that, struggle to use no because you feel like you're hurting someone, then I would say just play with it and try it out. Try how it works. Sometimes you might feel really uncomfortable saying it, but then you'll get used to saying it. And just remember that when you say no, you're actually saying yes to yourself. And actually that might also help the other person. So if someone's always coming to you uh, for advice and then after they, you give them the advice, you feel drained, for example, and they've just offloaded onto you actually saying no to them is good for both of you, you know, so then they have to deal with what they've, they've come up with. Are there tips for um, helping people kind of say no in a way that like, maybe not right now, like maybe I've just had a really bad day. I've, I'm totally zonked myself. I have a girlfriend who's having a really rough time. And normally I would be like, you know, unload on me. Let's talk about it. Um, but how do you say, like, give, give me a minute. Let's, let's talk about this tomorrow. Or how do you do that without hurting people's feelings? Yeah, it's exactly that. I would say, you know how children do it when they don't want to play? They say, I don't want to play. I don't want to eat. Yeah, they're, they're very, very honest. So I would say, learn from them and just say, look, I really don't want to right now. Um, but I would love, I, I don't want to right now but happy to pick up with you at a future date. So I'd always kind of do that if you want to, you know, if you want to help them, but right now you don't want to, and it's that. And if it's something that you've had enough, it's just try that I don't want you first and see how you feel with that. And so you're being honest, you're speaking your truth. And if they react, then, you know, that's another story if they react. So <laughs> that's not your responsibility. If they react, you can just hold that space and just say, look, I understand that you're going through something really difficult, but right now I really don't want you want to, but I can do that tomorrow for you. Let's, let's, let's catch up tomorrow. Yeah. We've done that with each other, you know, um, 
I've called you and, and you said, hey, um, I want to give you my undivided attention. So can we talk tomorrow? And when you put it like that, it, it, to me, it comes from a place of loving and then I don't have a problem with it. So I also think, you know, and I, I've learned this, but um, you're right. It goes back to self-love that you have to love yourself and say no in those moments. But then there are those times that, um, you know, we talked about boundaries being imaginary and we talked a little bit about limitations. Um, I feel like for women, especially, sometimes those things become a bigger, scarier thing. So, you know, when we think about things like promotion or um, can I ask for that raise? Oh, no, 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 I, I can't ask because, you know, they haven't talked about it. And I don't know, am I, am I going to screw it all up? And, you know, I, I just feel like sometimes it's fear that holds us back. Have you seen that quite a bit with your clients? Um, yes. Nodding here. (laughs) I realize I need to speak and not just shake my head. Yes, absolutely. I think it's a mix of fear and also imposter syndrome uh, within that, which I know that you guys have touched upon on previous episodes as well. And often we, again, it goes back to the same kind of thing with boundaries. We become afraid of asking for what we want because we've never done it right? We've always, when it, again, when it comes to boundaries, we've always had this kind of uh, checklist. This is what good looks like. As long as I'm meeting this invisible checklist, then that is fine. So if it crosses my boundaries, it doesn't matter, right? Um, but when it comes to out, you know, one of those checklist items could be is like, girls are there to be seen, but not heard. That's what is a very unconscious one, you know, from a very young age. So if, if you were somebody that got told that be quiet as a child, for example, um, you know, and, and you've been asking for what you want. So if a child doesn't want to eat and wants to eat something else, but gets told by their parents, for example, no, you have to eat this or by a school teacher, no, you have to do it this way. You that breeds fear in there, right? That in that moment, I'm not saying it's for everyone is that we will have different circumstances as well. So we build this kind of list that says, okay, this is what it means to be a good person. When we're a good person, then people will love us, they'll like us, and they'll take care of us, which doesn't really work when it comes to uh, promotions and stuff, because you have to use your voice and you have to ask for it. So there's a, a, there's a fear in that is if you ask for it, you won't get or you'd be seen in, in a negative way. And that's something that we often don't want to put ourselves into that situation because it makes us feel uncomfortable as well but it's just the belief that needs to change behind the scenes it's so interesting you say that um and we talk about this a lot actually you know using your voice and making sure that you ask for what you deserve um i have a girlfriend who's a recruiter who told me that there's this job description and every male asked for like 125,000 and above um, even if they hadn't had the, you know, the exact experience required, like maybe the, I think the requirements were like 10 years experience. Um, and maybe they had five to seven, regardless, they still asked for the, what the research showed that position should, should give you. And she said, all of the women asked for $50,000 less, $50,000. How insane is it that you because, and I don't want to, I don't want to make a sweeping generalization, but I think you're right. Women are just not quite as comfortable reaching for the higher end of, um, of a salary expectation or a raise expectation. Um, and that's just one example that I, I remember she told me that number and I, it blew my mind. I was like, that's a car <laughs> per year. Yeah. And it goes back to 
that feeling. So it's almost like we have this, and we're the ones that have this imaginary glass ceiling that we create for ourselves because we think, okay, that's the limit. If I if I go beyond that limit, they're not going to want me, and then I won't get that job. But it's actually, and that's an unconscious belief that we have that is is actually limiting us, right? Rather than helping us, you know, it's putting us in a in a cage, really. Right. No, I completely agree. I think the other thing that you know, I think there's two things, and I I know we talk about fear of failure a lot. Um, but I also sometimes think that there's a little bit of fear of success too sometimes. And there was something I really wanted. And um, Devika later on told me, she's like, I don't think you really want that. And I was astounded as I often am in, a, in our conversations. <laughs> and I had, to, I had to, I took the day to think about it. And I was like, why would I not want that? But then I started to think about it. And it was like, I was equating it to like, potentially a loss in independence. And you know, a loss of my way of life currently right now and things like that. So it's interesting. Do your other clients feel like the fear of failure versus the fear of success? Or am I the only weird one who thinks of fear of success? You're not the only weird one. There's a lot to just on a very high level. It's, um, it's an interesting one. We often, it sounds, this is going to sound really, really bizarre, but sometimes we like it to be hard. We are so comfortable in it being hard for ourselves and that we make it even harder for ourselves. So part of having the fear of success is to make it harder for ourselves. Or there's some element that's playing around of that there may be some conditioning or some beliefs around that, that that's only for, that's only for good people or successful people. So when you're not loving yourself, when you don't value that so self-love, self-worth, self-love kind of all kind of coming together. When you don't value yourself, and I've often found that with, and it's not just with women, with men too, and men just are better at hiding it because I work with both men and women that are, you know, senior manager, director, partner level, you know, and they still have this. We, we're all humans at the end of the day. And it depends on how your, your self-worth is kind of built in. So sometimes we are afraid of success because we don't feel that we're worthy enough for it or we're not deserving enough for it or that we feel that we're going to fail. Or, and I remember having a conversation uh, with a friend of mine and I think I heard it on one of your um, podcasts or one of your earlier episodes and it went something along the lines of some, we've already done the hard work, you know, we've already done it yet we we're somehow wanting needing to have to prove that we are worthy enough to do it so the fear of failure for the fear of um failure after success is that we're not going to be able to perform but you're getting that promotion not because whether you can perform or not you've done the hard work you've got the experience you've got you've got all of that experience and that's why the promotion is valued it's not how you're going to perform afterwards it's you've, you've done the work already to get that so it's having a just switching it around and looking at the other way because if you work in consulting for example you're always working a couple of levels above your actual level anyway so when you get promoted you're you're already at that level and we often do more than actually what is needed Hundred percent, and um, Challen so eloquently put it this morning. Fuck you, pay me. Oh my goodness, I love that. Uh, <laughs> I I promise you, I'm I'm a lady, <laughs> but I I am straight to the point. You know, like you've done the hard work. Just give me what I deserve. <laughs> 
Right. You know, and, and sometimes, you know, you're right when we, you talk about us making it harder on ourselves. Sometimes it literally is that simple. Now, I wouldn't recommend going to your boss and saying it that way, but, you know, saying it in a much simpler way. <laughs> I love that. <laughs> and I also think that sometimes we do it because we may have seen other women do it and they've got beaten down by the male boss because the male boss doesn't understand. And that is also another cultural dynamic in, in a workplace in terms of, you know, a lot of us women at the moment, we are shaping the way. We are shaping what leadership looks like at the moment. It's never been with so many women in leadership positions. So you're going to, what's going to happen in that sense is that you're going to face some of the old hierarchical ways of working and operating thought forms that even some of the most um, forward thinking men don't even realize they have that within them because it's something that they may have seen when they first started out in, in the workplace, but doesn't exist today, but it might come out in that space. So they might not think it, they may not say it, but in their vibration, in their vibe, in how they, but you know, how they are with you, you might feel that. So therefore that also makes you kind of go inwards as well. So there's some, so, so many different dynamics to play with it. I, I will say it's not one, one thing for all of us. There's going to be different things behind each of them. And, and I would leave, you know, if you are someone that is afraid of asking for that promotion, I would just say, sit with your fear, talk to your fear, say, Hey, fear, how are you doing? Why are you afraid of that promotion? You know, why are you here? What purpose do you serve? And, um, how am I benefiting from having you? Because if you think about fear as your friend, fear often is there to kind of protect us, right? Protect us, to keep us safe. And, and you know, and to keep us safe is to be the good person. So fear isn't a bad thing necessarily. It's just an aspect of ourselves that is helping us in some shape or form. I really love that. Fear is your friend. Um, you're right. It is a protection mechanism. So the more we can sit with ourselves and talk to it. Um, you know, hopefully it kind of just dissipates. Are you, you know, I know you do a lot of coaching and work with, um, you know, clients such as, you know, this group of women right here. Um, so people who are, you know, really working in the consulting world or other, or, you know, other high pressure jobs. Are you seeing with the pandemic that there's been more of a turn towards corporations really thinking about mental health or thinking about valuing, um, you know, the spiritual growth of, of their employees more, or is there still a lot of work to do there? No, you know what? It is changing. It is changing. So if the organizations are not doing it, which I think a lot of them are, but the, the, I think there's still some work to be done in terms of being a check box exercise, because I think a lot of things when it comes to diversity, inclusion, mental health, it's like from an organization point, you've got to have what looks good, right? But whether you apply it, it's another thing of having, you know, having access to coaches, having access to speakers that come on board. How do you start to help your um, employees embody health? you know, meant, you know, good, healthy boundaries when it comes to mental, emotional, and physical um, health. So what does that look like? And that's a day-to-day -day thing. So what I am definitely seeing is that, yes, for sure, there's more organizations that are open to it. They're more curious about, you know, the, more of the, un, you know, unspoken disabilities, which is like depression, because we don't often know if someone is depressed in a workplace. 
and it's easier to hide now with everything being online because if you're in the office you'll be able to read people's body languages when you're online they can turn off their cameras so that you would be able to see that so like depression and anxiety stress they're all hidden and often it only comes up when you're at a boiling point as well but I'm also finding that a lot of people are seeking something else. They don't quite know what it is, but they've got that feeling that I had a very much to challenge point that you were saying that, you know, when I shared my story about my burnout, I just knew that there was something else, but what it was, I didn't know. And I feel that I'm sensing that a lot more from a lot of people and people are coming to me and they're like, yeah, this isn't right. I don't, I don't want to do this anymore. You know, especially working mums, right? They're at a point where, what is it in it? What's in it for me? This is the same kind of treadmill, right? Um, and they really don't want to do it, but they haven't quite got to the point of choosing, no, I'm not going to do it and I'm going to find another way. And that's a fear aspect that also stops us from doing it because we also think that there isn't another way. So sometimes we need someone to show us the other way. So I think where organizations could be really on the forefront is what is that alternative path look like? You know, and then working with uh, the female leadership um, team within the organization and shaping that. So what does it mean? Because I think a lot of I think we're in this space at the moment where I think that some of the women that are in probably in the late 40s to the fifth, you know, from the late 40s onwards, they followed more of the masculine way of, you know, doing leadership and you know having the work life balance It's more on the masculine side. But you've got under four uh, under like mid 40s and stuff. Women are not are, are trying to push themselves into that into that box, but it's not working. And they're either burning out from trying to push themselves into that box or just like starting their own business. I've seen a lot of that as well as a lot of execs that were, you know, CEOs of different companies. Like one of my clients, CEOs of a different company and has gone and start their own business. So you've seen a lot more of that as well. I'm so hopeful that you say that. Um that either organizations who want to attract those women who have found a way to set boundaries for themselves. Like I've had a year of burnout after this. If I go back to work, I'm here's what my expectations are. Um, or they start their own business. And I'm, I cannot wait for, you know, hopefully in six months, we start to be able to see that trend line for the, the pandemic's positive impact following <laughs> vaccinations and things like that. Um, so that actually brings me to our next section, which is solutions. Um, so I think this conversation actually had so many good solutions. Um, a few that stuck out to me was um, sitting with yourself. You know, I, as I mentioned, that's it's a really tough thing to do is to sit with yourself and fi- figure out what you value most. Um, but from this whole conversation, I feel like that's one thing that I will absolutely be doing. Um, and hopefully our listeners do too. Um, but Moss, were there any that you thought were, I'm putting that on my list. I'm doing that today. (laughs) Um, you know, I think being inquisitive is one of them and, and Deepika's helped me do this quite a bit is ask the questions to yourself. Um, so whenever I'm feeling wary of a situation or I don't know, you know, what to do next, um, one I've learned it's often okay to not know. The second thing that I've learned is that, you know, those questions that keep going in your head, like, you know, I just write them down. Like, so what if I fail? What is the worst thing that's going to happen to me if I fail? And once you start writing those things down, you're like, all right, it's really not that bad. Like I can get over this. Um, Deepika, are there others that you think are, she's already shaking her head. She's like, yes. 
<laughs> yes, yes, yes. There's so many. Um, use your body, right? We're often trying to figure everything out with our minds. So our bodies are also giving us information and is a lot more intuitive than our mind because our mind will kind of go into analysis paralysis to think, okay, what is the right thing to do? What should I do? Et cetera, et cetera. Sometimes it's just like, hey, body, what do you think I should do? You know, well, where should we go? What should we do today? And asking that, what you'll start to feel is a sensation moving through your body. So sometimes you'll feel it, most people tend to feel it in their gut or you'll feel it in your heart. And then you'll get that kind of clue. And when you start working with it, and, and you can even ask your body, um, give me a yes, you know, give me a no. And then you, and you can ask your body to give you a feeling for it. And then once you start listening to that and feeling that, that is, it's just so incredibly powerful and it, it will help you to make decisions or go down a certain path that you may not have thought of doing just by trusting your body. So I just wanted to add that bit in. I love that. And that makes so much sense. Like I, I know when I get, you know, those like panic attacks or breaking out in hives, those are all, you know, physical sensations of maybe this isn't right for me. I was going to say, you know, I had some tough conversations just yesterday and I, I physically literally woke up at 1.30 in the morning and I was up until 2.30 just not feeling well. And it was the same thing you just said, Topeka, like analysis paralysis, just cycling through conversations in my brain. And I finally had to write them down. Um, and I am notoriously terrible at listening to my body. <laughs> um, so hearing you say that, I'm like, oh my gosh, that is why I woke up. It wasn't something else. It's just it wasn't sitting right with me. And um, I will absolutely listen to my body more. Thank you. <laughs> and there's one other thing I would add into that. So if you do struggle to listen to your body, because when you first start, it's like, I can't hear anything. What is it trying to tell me? Oh, no. And then you'll go into another level of analysis paralysis and, and just start, you know, one thing is just maybe just put your feet on the ground and just say, hello, feet. How are you doing today? And then imagine taking a breath up from the soles of your feet and you take it all the way up into whichever, if it's your head that is spinning or if you're getting like these heart palpitations, take it to whichever part of the body that needs it and hold the breath there for a moment. And then when you exhale, you just let that go. So if your heart is, you know, you've got the heart palpitations, hold the breath in your heart and then you just push out from your heart. And if you've got a spinning mind, that's just constantly racing, take the breath from the soles of your feet into your mind and then push it out of your head. And if you do that about two or three times, you will find that it will just release it. And I think what that's also doing is from an energetic perspective, it's moving the energy from your head all the way down through your body and out. So you're shifting your energy as well, because often those of us that are in analysis paralysis, our energy is very focused up at the top of our head. And it's not actually connected to our body. So we're kind of disconnected to our body. So that exercise just helps you to reconnect again. Thank you, Deepika. Those are great tips. So what's next for you? Um, you've you know, left consulting, started your own business. What are you going to do next? Have fun. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> you know, and I, and I think this, is the, which is a really interesting thing, because um, I never thought that I could create something because I never thought that it was possible. And I always had this belief that you had to really work hard and you had to do something that paid the bills that your passion couldn't pay your bills. 
So, and that is an old belief. So I've been working through that. And what I'm doing right now is working with clients one-to-one, doing group sessions. And in the next uh, month or so, I'm going to start working on creating some courses, which are for people that are in workplaces. Um, you know, and one's going to be about boundaries, especially for those of us that are empaths. So what I mean by that, empaths are those that feel other people's emotions or feelings in their own bodies or hear other people's thoughts in their heads as well. So how do you manage those boundaries? Because when you're in a workplace, what often happens, we feel the pressure. If someone is stressed out in the corner and they want us to do something, not only we feel we hear that asked to do something, but we can feel the pressure that they're under. So we take that pressure on board and then we put ourselves under pressure and then carry that. And that also leads to to burnout. And that also means that we don't have the right boundaries in place or recognize that. And that also comes back to... um, knowing yourself. So doing some more kind of courses on that to helping people to do this on a practical basis. So I've I've got a, you know, I've got, I've come from a corporate background, but I've also got this spiritual side to me and I've got lots of tools and practices in there. And it's just kind of um, bridging that gap in terms of doing it on a practical basis of how can somebody in a workplace do this and remind themselves to do this when they are right bang in the middle of it in, in terms of the deadline. Because we all know what it feels like in a deadline. Everything else just drops. Even cooking dinner drops. It's, it's a delivery service or something like that. Or you forget to have your lunch. And I know I've done that so many times that you just work through your lunch. And again, that's another boundary that you've crossed for yourself as well so how do you implement something that is gonna you can do you can do your work and also um manage your boundaries because at the end of the day i i found um that actually there is a healthier way of working it's not the old way of working i i feel that many of us right now are are the ones that are going to shape the new way of working we don't know what that is but it's us using our voice and us trying new things and really honoring what is it that I truly want? What does my heart want? Not what I think is the right thing to do, but what does what is my heart telling me to do? And I think when you come from that place, that is what's going to create the new ways of working, which I think the pandemic has been amazing for because I think organizations are so much more open to changing the ways of working because people are asking for it now. I couldn't agree with you more. So thank you so much for joining us and all of the lovely, energetic, spiritual, you know, knowledge you have bestowed on us. And I know we'll all take it and learn from it. Um, But right now, Caitlin, do you want to talk a little bit about the inspiration section? Sure thing. Although I feel like this whole episode has been inspiration section, <laughs> um, but I'm I'm happy to share a couple of resources. The first being uh, Deepika's re- uh, website. So uh, she has some great guided meditations for fear and setting boundaries. We'll link it in the blog and show notes. But if you want to visit, that's a n o u m e dot com. So a new me dot com. Uh, there's also a couple of great resources on uh, by Nidra Glover Tawab uh, called Setting Boundaries and Finding Peace. Um, her website includes free resources and worksheets and a free boundary setting quiz. Um, so that's one that I believe, Challen, you've used in the past. Is that right? Yeah, it's pretty simple and straightforward. Um, just again, kind of taking you through personal and professional situations and, you know, whether or not you say yes too easily. <laughs> yeah. Uh, 
great. With as far as saying yes too easily, that's one of the biggest steps that we can kind of curb to prevent burnout. Um, I'm linking the Mayo Clinic's coverage on job burnout, which they've classified as a, not a, an illness necessarily, but as a phenomenon, a, a professional phenomenon, which is wild that that's something that we're even talking about outside of uh, mental health. But the page includes a list of questions to ask yourself that can help you figure out if you're experiencing burnout and need to take some, some measures to help yourself get over that hump. Um, I also really connected with a piece by Maris Kreisman called Where Did My Ambition Go? It covers kind of that thorny relationship between ambition and burnout and how easily you can slip from ambition into a really unbalanced life um, in pursuit of your goals or your ambitions. And we talk a lot about professional ambitions, but we kind of leave the other types of ambition that we feel for personal life, community, mental health, our friendships. We don't talk about that as much, but they're as important and just as valid. Um, so really bringing that back into balance. And then the last one that I'll wrap up with um, is from Harvard Business Review. I refer to myself all the time as a recovering perfectionist. Um, and this, this episode's point about fear of failure and letting fear overtake your, your mental, um, mental health and how you're, talk, you're planning for your future resonated with me. This Harvard Business Review article has four strategies to overcome your fear of failure. And it actually included something similar to what we talked about earlier, um, including creating a fear list that shows things you're afraid to do and what you're afraid will happen if you do that task or take that step. Um, and a lot of times what we realize is the things that we're afraid are going to happen don't outweigh the possible benefits of taking that step or, or making the leap that you're hyping up as, as so afraid in your head. Um, so if you want to share your fear lists, we'd love to see them on social or over email. Um, because sharing fears can really help them feel more manageable too. That's what we got for inspiration this week. Awesome. Um, thanks so much for joining us, Topeka. Um, as a recent grad, almost a year out, I can say that um, a lot of this information was super helpful for me going forward. Um, and I'm sure it will be for all of our listeners too. As always, like Caitlin mentioned, we'll link all of the resources mentioned in today's episode on our website at www.weareoverworked.com. Um, and we want to hear from you. So if you'd like to share any comments, questions, feedback, any information about this episode that uh, you feel was especially useful, you can follow and tag us on Instagram or Facebook at We Are Overworked or at W Overworked on Twitter. Please join us next week as we discuss the gender pay gap. And don't forget to subscribe to our channel to get notified when we release our newest episodes on Apple Podcasts, Spotify Podcasts, and Google Podcasts.